and welcome. It's the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking. From indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made. How to make them and how to try not to F it up. In our very, very, very humble opinion. They're released to wherever you get your podcasts every Tuesday. Today, we're talking about indie films, working with big directors, making new horror film Mara, and a new way of producing feature films. I'm Giles Alderson, producer of the horror comedy A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. I'm also the director and producer of the vampire documentary World of Darkness, which is out now if you want to watch it. Link is in the show notes. And I'm the co-writer, along with Johnny Grant, and the director of the psychological horror feature film The Dare, which should be complete soon, along with A Serial Killer's Guide to Life which is now in the grade. Super exciting. I'm heading down with Stan and Poppy this... Well, I'm heading to see Stan and Poppy this week as they are in the grade at Round Table Post. Very exciting. Very exciting indeed. So stay tuned for more news on those films. As you know, we do indie film shout-outs to, to people's Kickstarters and to their screenings and events. Well, this week we got quite a few. But first of all, some shout outs and some thank yous to director Neil Johnson, who sent me some drone footage from Croatia, which can perfectly fit into our vegan documentary. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And by the way, he's got some amazing drone footage. So do check him out and see if there's any drone footage you might need as well, because he's been to some fantastic places and looks really cool. Little plug for you and also a thanks for giving me footage. There you go. Thanks, Neil. Uh, You're a superstar. Kurt Weiser, shout out to you. Thank you. And Alejandro Montoya Marin, who is soon to film his new film, Positivity. He was on the podcast very recently on episode 68, talking about his film and working with Robert Rodriguez called Monday. A shout out to you. Good luck. Um, Sam Benjamin, he's emailed me about his new Indiegogo campaign, which is up and running. Um, It's for the second season of the few dark future it's a groundbreaking british superhero series uh it's likened to netflix's daredevil jessica jones with a splash of cw's arrow um it's an original multi-award winning british sci-fi web series and it needs your help head to the link in the show notes and go support him if you can support indie films support our filmmakers support those who are listening to this podcast and they will support you too and here's another one this is from jade uh, Boxari, who runs Fabulous Fridays, which screens sci-fi and cult classics. It's a monthly film club. It's near Old Street in London. Um, they're having a Halloween screening of George Romero and Stephen King's Creep Show. Tickets are only six quid, and that includes a drink. Uh, and this month, it's hosted by the ever wonderful Bob Schultz. Friday, the second of November. That's this Friday. Get down to Fabulous Fridays in Old Street. Thanks, Jade. Good luck. I hope all goes very well this Friday for you. If you do like this podcast, do spread the word about it. If you like us, tell your mates who might be interested in how to make feature films. We love all your support. We really do. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen to this today. So thank you. Subscribe to us on iTunes. um, Listen to us on the Podbean, SoundCloud, or as we're part of the brilliant people at Podfix Network. You can find us there with the other brilliant shows like Fan Encounters, The Gravity Beard Podcast, Shaken Not Nerd, Into the Portal, Weird With You, uh, just to name a few. Now, we're also on Spotify, Podcasters UK, and iHeartRadio. Congratulations to us. We are now on iHeartRadio. And obviously, the Britpod C. Last week, we told you about the 15 second horror competition 
well, we're telling you about it again. If you've not got your film in, get it in. It's 15 seconds. All you have to do is submit your shortest, scariest film that you can, which is under 15 seconds, all 15 seconds, and you could be in with the chance of having your film screened at next year's Raindance 2019. You could also win a free membership for the year as well. Uh, and everyone who enters the competition will receive 10% off any Raindance course worldwide. To enter, um, just tweet a link of your film to at Raindance and use the hashtag 15 Second Horror. The link is in the show notes. Get to it. Uh, it's easy. Just make something on your iPhone, something that scares you. If you're in your dark room now listening to this and there's a, there's a coat hanging in the corner that looks like something freaky, film it. Sod it. What have you got to lose? You might find that that develops into something even better. What about the creepy attic you've got? What about the shed? Think outside the box office. You've got 15 seconds. Not from now, but you've got 15 seconds of the film. Yeah, you know what I mean. Cool. That's the Rain Dance offer this week. Okay, joining us today is actor and producer Craig Conway, whose list of credits is huge. You will know his face. You might even recognise his voice from many, many adverts that he does voiceovers for. Um, but he started off in TV, incidentally. He was in Our Friends in the North, um, if you remember that, in 1996. And then he did many films, of which I'm going to list now. Because I didn't want to do it when we were with him. Because I know Craig. Uh, and he might get a bit shy of that. So I'm doing it now. We've got Downtown, uh, Combat, Dog Soldiers, the first film he did with Neil Marshall, big director. Um, Vera Drake, Jack, Heatwave, The Descent, second film with Neil Marshall. Um, Terry Pratchett's uh, Hogfather, Doomsday, third film with Neil Marshall. Romans 1220, brilliant, a brilliant short film. You can find that online. The Tournament, directed by Scott Mann, uh, Devil's Playground, Four. Seven Lives, How to Stop Being a Loser, Airborne, Harrigan, The Hybrid, Final Score, the latest film by Scott Mann, which is out now, action-packed with Dave Bautista. That looks amazing. Hopefully we'll get Scott on the podcast to talk about that very soon. And Hellboy, Neil Marshall. This is his fourth time with Neil Marshall. He was over in Bulgaria, a new Bianna studios where I shot The Dare. And um, he tells us a little bit about that later on in the podcast. And recently, he stars as Dougie in the brilliant horror film Mara which is out this Saturday the 4th of November as a producer he produced Devil's Playground 4 Estranged Giant Land Gate Crash South of Hope Street and Broken Broken is amazing we talk about that in the podcast so without further ado let me hand over to me myself interviewing Craig Conway in his house it's cool I hope you enjoy it have a brilliant week carry on making films do make films be proud do it get out there write that script today okay lots of love to you guys love you lots uh thank you for supporting here's craig and me right joining us today to talk about filmmaking is producer and actor craig conway hello mate how you doing i'm very good very good and thank you for coming to my home i know we're in your house it's brilliant this is really nice kind of front room right now yeah on your sofas yeah i'm just having a little it's a vape it's a vape yeah yeah Yeah. let's hear the uh the click and sound there you go oh that's a nice sound yeah. effect that it's good isn't I might it? use that in one of my yeah. films if i need to i'm having some soup got some tomato soup down the road yeah this is lovely um obviously as you know this podcast is all about helping people yeah make films get off their asses keep doing it because we know how hard it is to make films bloody hard ridiculously hard yeah. let's start at the beginning though 
How did you start? What, what was your journey? Why did you even bother getting into this ridiculous world of filmmaking? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> um, I think, I think as a, as a kid, uh, I always, my nana was a massive fan of all of the um, uh, Friday matinees and things like that. You know, so all the black and whites and the Buster Keaton films and all that. And originally, I wanted to just do a load of comedy. I loved entertaining people, dressing up, being stupid. Yeah. Um, and I think because I was a, a, a bit of a late developer at school. And, uh, what do you mean by the, as in? I, I just think I, I didn't quite catch on. I kind of, my imagination was always going a bit crazy. Right. So, you know, kids kind of would pick on you. I wasn't really academically great. Okay. okay. So the, there was a lot of kind of bullying and all that kind of stuff. Oh. So, I, so I ended up making people laugh. And that got me through loads of stuff. Right. So then suddenly teachers would say, come and do this play, come and do that, come and do this. And uh, eventually I ended up just doing a lot of shows and a lot of theatre shows uh, all around the area and stuff like that. And then suddenly people said, oh, you've got something actually, we'll put you in this and we'll put you in this. And then before I knew it, I was coming up to leaving school. I was like 15, didn't have any qualifications. So I thought, right, I'll I'll just keep acting, see where it takes me. And then I started devising theatre, writing, directing bits. Wow. And then got TV, mm-hmm. got an agent in London, and then it just spiralled from there. And I mean, suddenly... you made that sound really easy, right? That sounded like, oh, it was just, you know, I just made their shows. I, I know. Agent, but I, I bet you put so much work and effort. No, loads. I mean, we, we would get together with like a group of us yeah. and we'd, we'd kind of develop stories. We'd get our camcorders out at the time and shoot things and try things and just experiment. But it was, it, we were always trying to develop something. Mm. And then we'd find somewhere, raise a bit of money if we could, even from friends, family, or go to places at the time like schools and um outreach centers old folks homes put on shows for them right. that that's what we did and and that's how we made a bit of money as well and you know kind of just going around creating these little theater companies and mm. making a bit of money that's amazing so you were not only feeding your sort of acting sort of dream but you're also producing unbeknownst maybe to you at the time just yeah. to get on stage and make stuff yeah yeah i just you... wanted to be in front of an audience yeah that was it because I, I there was something about the theater that just it, it made everything seem like something was happening mm. you know and when you've got the, the the live audience everywhere like that it was like this is amazing it was it was just the best feeling uh, yeah. going forward it was absolutely brilliant but um, and then and then I met Neil Marshall and people like that, and mm-hmm. there was lots of filmmakers. When the digital age kicked in, all the theatres started doing multimedia. So we were working with people like Pina Bausch, Robert Lepage, um, uh, Peter Brook. You know, all those kind of people were coming to the theatre in the northeast, and we were touring all over Europe, doing all these massive multimedia shows with dance and music and drama and film projected everywhere. Yeah, um, and then. At the same time, I was working with Neil, who was an editor at the time, Neil Marshall, right. and we, he was chatting about a film. He was saying, oh, you know, I've got this project. We should, we should do a short together. So we started doing shorts. We did a thing called Combat. Mm-hmm. And then he said, I've got this thing about these soldiers and these werewolves, and that was dog soldiers. Mm-hmm. That was it. It, it, it. From that film, it was kind of three back-to-back with him. At the same time, I got invited to do uh, Our Friends of the North, and yeah. that was like a huge cast. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and that, and that was it. So then, then it was kind of, okay, you've got to go shit a bus here. If yeah. you're going to go to London, you've got to kind of do something about this. So I, I came down here and started selling sunglasses in Camden Town Market <laughs> in the you? middle of winter. Did you? Yeah. 
<laughs> moved over a lot of South Africans in uh, East Finchley. Wow. <laughs> How many did you, did you sell? Well, I imagine you oh, quite God, good. Oh, no, no, no. Nobody no? wanted any sunglasses, not in the middle of winter. I mean... <laughs> why did you do that? Why? Why? why just to make some money. Because <laughs> we were absolutely skint. And there was a, a few of us that came down. But it was one of those things where you kind of go, oh, well, um, I've got to do something. And I tried to get a job at Victoria train station. I thought you were going to say Victoria Secret. No, no, yeah, I would love a job there. (laughs) Uh, But I tried to get a job at Victoria uh, train station being a cleaner. And they wouldn't take me on at the time because obviously... (laughs) I'm an Englishman, and they would have had to pay the right rate. Oh. So it was, it was. I had a big argument with this guy, saying, "Look, I'm, I'm literally asking for a job here to sweep up and mop yeah. up piss. Just give us, give us some give money." Us and he was like, "No, can't do it, mate. No. Can't do it." And so, at, that, at that point, you'd already been in our friends in the north. Oh, you'd yeah. already made dog soldiers. Yeah, yeah. But you, you start to learn very quick that you know you get these highs. Everybody goes, "Hey, you're amazing. This is brilliant." Mm. And then there's nothing. It's there is feast or famine in what we do. So then you have to come up with ways or get around like-minded people again and start thinking, "Well, what can we do? How can we find out to make money? How can we raise money?" What what can we do to push ourselves? Yeah. So I think I've always been on that treadmill. So I started directing for theatre up in the Contact Theatre in Manchester mm-hmm. uh, and producing shows every kind of few months there. Um, and then, yeah, was offered an, an associate directorship there, but but turned it down at the time because I was worried that I would then just be in one box uh, mm-hmm. and I'd be a director at a theatre working with young people. And, mm-hmm. and it's bizarre because you kind of go, Wow, why did I do that? That could have been a really solid foundation for me for a few years. Get a bit of cash as but well, it's, yeah. It's the thought of variety. I, I want to keep doing other things. Yeah. And and they were saying, you know, you can direct, but you might be able to act. Well, you can go off and act, but then you've only got these months to do that. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to give up acting. Mm-hmm. I still want to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you kind of take and leave what you can. But yeah. It was, but it was an exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the same when I was uh, working at Copper 90. It was the same. I was like, I feel like I'm in a box for a little bit doing the same shows. And obviously yeah. I was trying to make things at the time. And that's why I left because I got to make the dare. Yeah. But it was that, oh God, oh God, am I just going to stay here? Even though you're <laughs> making stuff and you're kind of in that world you want to do. But at the same time, that's really difficult. And I think that's really hard for creatives and people who want to make stuff. It's like, well, how do I make money on the side? How do yeah. I survive and still carry on doing my dream? And yeah, it, totally. It's tough without cleaning vomit up in Victoria Station. Yeah. You can't even get that job. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's great character study. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. People coming in and out, but I think that would drive, get very old very quickly. Yeah, it would. Yeah. And the sunglasses. <laughs> The sunglasses seemed like a far better option. Yeah, much better option yeah. at the time. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I did that lead on to then you actually producing films and, and moving into that world, because this is something you've done a lot of in terms of you've put a lot of energy and effort into cr- creating projects. Yeah. Was that at first so that you could act in them or was it? No, the, the opposite, actually. Right. What would happen was I'd done a... A, a kind of spate of um, indie British films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd done a couple with Danny Dyer. Um, I did one called uh, Devil's Playground mm-hmm. with Craig Verbass and things like that. But what I started realising was that there was this trend at the time, which which is kind of still going on. Um, and forgive us a, a bit of a rant here, but I could see a lot of crew members um, and a lot of actors who were coming on jobs, working day in, day out and receiving very little. Right. And and becoming unstuck, basically, they they wanted to make a feature or they wanted to tell a, a certain story, 
a group of producers and accountants and the various would gather around them and say, yeah, we'll get you to make your film. And then they drip fed these little bits of fund, you know, to mm-hmm. make your film. Or no, actually, we haven't got that much now. We've only got this much. And then as an actor, you get the the little phone call one night that says, oh, listen, the budget, uh, we're, we're really stressed. Is there any way we can make you have a deferred payment? And you go, Whoa, what is that? Give me the full Oh, yeah, well, you get something on the back end of it. It just means you'll have to wait until we recoup its costs. Right. So and you I'm start, sure it will, because it's yeah, amazing. Of course it yeah, will, yeah. and you're going to be a star. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and this is a great role for you. It's mm. going to make your career fly. Yeah. And um, and <laughs> yeah. and so you believe it. Yeah. Because you're creative and you go, do you know what? I've committed to it. Mm. I'm not going to pull out. And there's this this lovely little line of, of kind of commitment that you you attach yourself to because you you feel that if you're not working you're not worth anything yeah and so you commit everything to it and then you slowly get told the truth which is yeah you're not going to get anything but thanks very much and then there's no handshake there's no thank you or whatever mm-hmm. it's just on to the next one you see them doing it again and again and a lot of my mates are crew members yeah so i started getting kind of frustrated as to what was going on so i thought i need to look into this so i started going behind the scenes and and helping some people with certain projects getting them over the line um and then looking at the financial side of it um and so i spent kind of the last several years doing it um but looking for stories that that interest me looking for talent that i want to try and help support and promote but ultimately try and get a, a fair trade system going for, mm-hmm. for filmmakers and creatives, because it is a business, but the business has to work with with the creative in a, a harmonious way and in a balanced way. Yeah. And we can't be um, neglecting or, or kind of making creatives feel guilty uh, for wanting to be creative because it's a skill set you have. Mm. I mean, you know, there, there is talent there, there is craft, there is skill, there is learning, and all those things have to be in place because you can't just be somebody who picks up a camera and points it sure, at an actor. Sure. And an actor can't just be somebody who learns a series of lines and the camera captures him. There's a whole craft and skill around it and there's a whole team and ethic based around this that makes good product and good content. Mm. But we very rarely get to do that because we're all being held to ransom. Yeah. And so we've got, we got to change that and kind of reform that in some way. So that, that's why I started going behind the camera. Nothing to do with acting just purely to try and get a little bit of a, a balance back into the equation. Yeah, that's great. I mean, Whoa, that, there you go. That was a great way to do it. Because as a producer, you've done, like you say, you kind of produced on Devil's Playground, or yeah. you co-produced, if anything else. Uh, produced on Four, Estranged, and Giant Land, which stars Mitchell Norman, yes. who also stars in The Dare. Yes. And it was you. I saw your Instagram page. I was looking for an actor to play uh, a younger yeah. version of Robert Marsa, and I saw your Instagram post of Giant Land, and I went... That kid looks amazing. I messaged you. I went, "What's the kid like?" Because he looks just right. And you went, "He's amazing." Yeah. And I said to you, "Look, do me. Can can you get him to do a tape?" And you recorded the tape with him. Yes. Yeah. 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 So there you go. So yeah. thank you for that. No, he's an amazing kid. He's in fact, funnily enough, I'm, I'm putting him forward for a, a, a rather big TV show. Oh, great! Um, so he's he's immensely talented. Really talented. So yeah. Have you still got his number? Yeah, of course. I think I've lost it. So, uh, which is really terrible, him, but I changed my phone. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. I, I must. Um, I'll have to get that number for you because yeah. I've got to put him forward for the show. Great, he's a great kid. He really is, and mm. he's fantastic in the Dare, and I imagine he's fantastic in Giant Land. As oh, well, he's, so. his performance is just spellbinding, absolutely spellbinding, brilliant, um, amazing. 
And you also produced Gatecrash, um, oh shit, Something of Hope Street, what is that one? The, oh, South of Hope Street, uh, yeah, South yeah. Of Hope that, that's Street. coming, that's coming soon. Yeah, yeah and uh, Broken, obviously. Yeah. Which one, was Devil's Playground the first one that you yeah, come on Yeah, De- Devil's producing? Playground was the one where I was on as an actor, mm-hmm. and then all of the cast and crew were basically told the film may not happen after we'd done a, a huge amount of it. Yeah. Um, and obviously the director, Mark McQueen, who's a brilliant director. I've met him. He yeah, seems like a really great, lovely bloke as well. Yeah. Um, his, I think it was his first feature. Uh, so th- there was a, there was a lot of emotional links to that. Um, Danny had put in a lot of work. Craig had put in a lot of work. Mayanna Buring, mm-hmm. you know, a wonderful kind of cast come together on it. Um, but the money just was not there. So I, I kind of looked to help and support that and, and try and get it over the line. And, and luckily, by the end, it did. And that, that that's what got me the kind of co-producer credit, if you like. Yeah. But it was also just really interesting to see how they were stacking it up. I mean, the finance wasn't good. You know, it, it was it was kind of, uh, I think, just inefficient, you know, and it wasn't fair for everybody taking part on that project so there, there needs to be much more clarity and transparency when when it comes to those things but then with broken yeah that that was the first time i thought right i'm going to do a film on my own as a producer um and sean robert smith uh who's a, a real huge talent he he'd been in touch with me for several years about uh, the fourth reich mm. and that was you know it's going to happen it wasn't going to happen uh, and then he said, look, I'm going to do this short. And I read this short, which was based on an experience he and his wife um, had while they were carers. Um, and I read the script and I just said, oh, God, man, I was like, this is a feature. There's something in this. It needs to be a feature because you're throwing too much in it being a short. He said, well, how much could we shoot for? I said, well, it's one location. It's a house. Mm-hmm. And it's two actors, really, for the, for the most of it. So... You know, let let's say we go for a hundred grand. That that's it. Let's see what we can do. Um, and he went, well, if you can get the money, yeah, you you try it. So um, about, I think it was about three or four days later, we had seventy five grand. Wow. Um, and ten weeks later, we developed the script and we were shooting. So this, that's <laughs> fantastic. How did you suddenly four days later get the seventy five grand talents? Because this is fascinating for our listeners. Yeah, well, at the time there was there was a a, a kind of a few companies around um, asking about you know what what projects are you doing, what finance and all this kind of stuff. So I'd been approached by them. They, they said they had a, a bit of money left over from a, a particular investor, mm-hmm. and he needed to put some money into something. And I just said, well, look, I've got this idea. I said, but it's a short. I need to make it into a feature. So we're going to have to write. And they just said, well, actually, this is a closing end of finance for them. Go for it. And and that really, it was just one of those strokes of luck. Right. Okay. Um, but then you start looking into it afterwards and realize that there are many people out there, I think, want to invest in film. The, the biggest problem is the return. How do you distribute? How do you market it? How do you get it into market? And how do you get a comeback for everybody? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that is that is a, a big quagmire of difficulty. Yeah. But but it, it it's becoming more possible now. I'm stepping into even the the platform release um, uh, side of things and looking at how we connect and create platforms for independent filmmakers to get their materials out within the UK and the rest of the world, but also how we can get the investors their money back and get everybody, the creatives, the cast and crew to share in the revenues, which is what you ultimately want. So people can keep going. 
you know. Yeah. And there was enough there. There was enough money to do that. Yeah. We just have to um, be slightly more aggressive to get people to wake up. So let's talk about your new venture then, Locus Plus Motion. Yes. Right? This is exciting. And this is what I'm so pleased you're doing. It sounds absolutely a breath of fresh air for the indie filmmaking world and the British filmmaking world. Um, and this is just shaking up a little bit and stopping the well helping filmmakers actually get recruitment investors get a recruitment on the yeah. money that they're putting in the effort actors as well talk us through this because this is this is great yeah i mean it, it you know in a in a general sense mm-hmm. i think there's there's three things to it there's the investors who are putting in their finance so they want to be able to see that your film can you know get to a market, get out there and make their money back. Yeah. Maybe with a bit on the top, happy days. Um, but the the problem with that is there's not enough opportunities within the current distribution market for smaller made films. And I mean smaller by their their budget, mm-hmm. you know. And and when you look at films up to, say, 5 million, they're, they're a bit hit and miss. So a lot of people are saying, mm, you know, even though the digital technology can allow you to to do wonderful things, that I think one of the biggest problems is that people are trying to emulate some of the blockbuster movies. And actually, it's about storytelling. Because when you look at the analytics of everything, and, and this is what has been kind of majorly done by the rest of the team, they've been solidly looking into all of the analytics, the box office analytics. Um, do big stars have an impact on the box office? Mm-hmm. Not really. No, not really. Not really, not at all. Been, yeah. No, and, and one of the tragedies of that is not that the actors aren't good or they're not worth it, it's just the fact that there, there's a little bit of a smokescreen there because what we're doing is creating stars, in effect, in order that we can inflate costs of everything else. Mm-hmm. So the studios and the, the big producers and execs are are creating this inflated world of money, um, which cuts off everybody else because if you're not part of it, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um and then they own all of that distribution entity. You know, they they have ways of making everything work for them, yes. which which is good business for them, but it's terrible for everybody else. All the people who put all the effort A- and the absolutely, time. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. They don't see a penny. And you might get paid well, but you might not work for several months afterwards. Well, totally, so, yeah. you know, it's all it's all kind of and relative. spent two years doing, getting exactly. to that point. Yeah. So we're trying to just devote ourselves to independent films, really, um, and world stories. So we're working with people, you know, out of the UK, um, from India, Australia, everywhere. I mean, it's kind of, I guess, Brexit has made everybody look outwards, mm-hmm. but we want inward investment. So we want to create opportunities for the independent scene and work with UK distributors and uh, exhibitors to help us promote and produce work that can allow the investors and the creatives to be able to share in the revenue. Um, and you do that really by balancing it off and, and doing what you would do in property, which is kind of a third, a third, a third. Right. You put in and everybody shares. And obviously the investors start at a higher brand. They're getting their money back. Mm-hmm. But once their money's returned, then everybody is sharing in it. And right. then you've got a bit left over for development to put back in and start doing it again and create some kind of sustainability in what we do. And that's using technology and innovation for, for shooting, you know, different types of movies, um, bringing in different kind of technical aspects to it and VR and um, the augmented reality and all this and making it much more of a, an event distribution as well mm. so so that there is a reason to also go to the cinema to see these kind of films. Mm. But, you know, I mean, your work is speaks for itself. You get all of these people, you're even talking about films on a podcast. Mm-hmm. There is an audience there. 
So if people listening to this show all decided to interact and get on to the apps and the things that we're developing in order to promote their work and do that, we start engaging with each other yes. and we all start benefiting each other. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a big fight there um, because it's it's a bit of a disruptor, what we're doing, but at the same time, it's also... Um, it's also there to benefit everybody. And and it doesn't say that you have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is just offering another choice of, of things to try and support that independent network. Right. So, you know, get new talent seen. Absolutely. And I think that's really important. Why do you think that this hasn't happened before? Is it because producers are greedy? Are we, you know, how honest can we be here? But is that, you know, we can be as honest as we like. It's well, I, th- I think there's two things. I think, Firstly, as creative, sometimes we are and we can be definitely lazy, but purely because we don't want to get into the business side because it makes us feel a bit. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then if if we take a wage, a big wage, we then feel like we're selling out, and mm-hmm. you know. So there's there's this socialist side to us, there is. <laughs> which That's which is true. it is just there, and 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 I think it's right to be there, but you you can't you can't live on that and. There, there is a point where earning something is not. There's not no um, degrading yourself by earning a wage, but the but the problem is those who are making the money at the moment aren't distributing that wealth, right. and and that's all it is. It's it's a lack of transparency, and it's a a, a high influx of middlemen um, and a, a kind of creative accountancy and people like that who are essentially taking the goodwill of people who want to produce good work who have a creative talent. And using that, if you, if you were to do it in any other job, if you were a lawyer mm-hmm. and I said to you, can you write this letter for me? It's quite a creative letter because yeah. it's going out. Yeah. You would charge whatever you charge for that. And you wouldn't apologize for that. You would just charge me because mm-hmm. that's the cost. When we do it, we can't do that. Oh, yeah, but you haven't done anything before. You're not as good as that director. Well, what's that got to do with it? Yeah. Oh, you're not you're not a good, a good as actor as him. Mm. You know, your last film didn't go all around the world well yeah so what mm-hmm. it, it really makes no sense those arguments make no sense but we believe them and we go oh yeah that's right that's right i'll do this one for yeah. free then or, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah well because it'll be good Third for me yeah. yeah oh it's a great role for me this time <laughs> it's a load of bullshit one do well. <laughs> it's a complete cop-out yeah but but we're scared of saying anything because we might not get employed mm-hmm and and I mean exactly what has happened with the Me Too thing. Yeah, you know, people are scared to talk about what needs to change because when they do speak out, they get ridiculed. Or people say, "Oh, well, you're just moaning." Oh, what's the matter? Is your career dried up? Right. It's all these kind of. So you're you're now scared to speak, even though you want to speak. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you've got to have a talent, yeah. and you've got to be able to show that you can work. So if you've done something and people can see your worth, then there's nothing to lose. But if we don't start standing up for ourselves as independent creatives, then, you know, nothing will change. It's great. It has to. Yeah, it has to. Yeah. It does. And we do need to stand up. And I, I I applaud you for doing this. And I'm with you all the way. And I'll do whatever we can to to, to keep that going. Well, because, that's me and you then. Yeah. Me and, you <laughs> and everyone listening, right? Yeah. Um, they've all you jumped on this bandwagon because they're all creatives. And they go, yeah, I want to see some return on the money I'm putting in. Yeah. Because... I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever been paid deferred fees. Never, never. I, I, and you've I think been working for a long time on some have, big, yeah. big movies. I have, and I've, I've took these um, producers' net profit points. <laughs> exactly. I've never seen a penny. This says everything about... Yeah. Even what, as a producer. Yeah. This it, is the thing. Right, even so as a producer. Even okay, as a producer. This. Right. So um, 
yeah, w- w- without even having to point fingers, most people will know who I've worked with. But right. Um, so, for instance, I'd be working and creating a film. Now, I always assumed that everybody would be quite happy to share the wealth. That's, you think so. You would think so. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, out of the, uh, what, seven or eight, nine movies I've produced, mm-hmm. I've not received one penny from the revenue. Not one penny. And is this some- and some of them I didn't even get paid as a producer. So I still haven't had a producer's fee. And so it's not the producers a lot of the time. This is the other thing. Yeah. It's the exec producers who say they are producers and essentially they're middlemen accountants. Right. And and what they do is bring in all that creative content. They put a stamp on it and a worth on it. They will get you to bring your budget down as mm-hmm. much as possible so they can put some money in. Mm-hmm. And then they'll inflate the cost in order to get a tax credit or a bigger tax credit. Yeah. And then they'll do whatever else they need to do to manufacture what looks like a bigger production than what it actually is. And they don't care if it sells then. So why why would they? They don't need it to make money. They've already in fact, made I heard one money. exec producer in particular yeah. who's uh, on, on the uh, social media watch list now, um, <laughs> which is brilliant. That's brilliant. And, and, and those things are very important. We need to have those things. We do, yeah. Where we can talk and say, right, do not work with this company. Mm-hmm. Do not work with that person. It's so important. But this particular gentleman, um, uh, had a wonderful thing where he he actually gloated about the fact that we movies don't make money, darling. No, no, no. Some people might get it from that that little uh, that, little, <laughs> that great impression, great impression, really of strong. Um, but yeah, money's money's not uh, what we're about. No, 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 not not for me uh, making money in movies. No, 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 <laughs> that's not the way. You, you've got to make it all happen at the front. That's where we are. And and this particular man, I've had. Many run-ins with him, mm-hmm. um, but he insists that the way to do it is to basically front-load the film um, because that's where he'll get his money. And and it's, to be honest, it's falsifying of finance. That's what it is. It's false facts. This right. is this is a, a fraudulent activity, and many people have been put in prison because of it. Yes. And we've indeed. seen it time and time again. Yeah. So it has to stop. Um, is there something that producers can do at the moment before your scheme comes into place and they can actually jump on that bandwagon as well, that they can, is there anything you would change about any of the things? Basically when you've been a producer, would you have more of a say? Well, I, 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 I think in, incentivizing line producers sometimes is, is a big thing that gets done where, you know, this, if you bring the budget down, you get a bit more for yourself. That kind of thing has to be stopped. Mm-hmm. It's not good practice. It yep. doesn't incentivize anybody really. And what it does do is adds that kind of pressure and duress and stress on the relationship between the creators and the production office. Um, but also as producers, I think most producers, if I'm honest, want to make good film. They want to work with creatives. They are creatives. And, and producing is a very creative job yeah. because you're bringing in all of the elements from the writers to the actors um, to the directors, to the story. I mean, I've been developing stories for two and three years at a time with mm-hmm. people. So producing is a, a, a really brilliant experience and it's a wonderful collaborative job. The problem is when producers go for finance, they tend to want to give themselves a huge fee at the front right? and then just say to everybody, well, you work for nothing, but we'll take that because they're scared the film might not make it. Mm. But my belief is you sink or sail together. Sure. That is it. And so a lot of the producers who I've met and worked with who are trying to do this kind of similar model, they just want a fair trade. 
That's it. They want to f- turn up at work, get paid like everybody else. Yeah. And then if it does well, we all share in that. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's a very simple request. It is. Create something, inspire, and then enjoy what comes from it. Yeah. It's how it should work. Because there is so many, it feels like the secrets. It feels like there's people just not telling me stuff. Yeah. You know, and I feel like I know a lot of stuff about the filmmaking world. And there's this whole hole, basically, yeah. where you go, okay, cool. Well, we've done the movie and it's now coming out. And oh, well, ha- hang on, the movie's done quite well. In fact, that's sold loads of units. Why is no money coming back at all to anyone? Mm. And it's, I suppose, going out of your hands. And how do you keep it in your hands? And the answer is you kind of control that from the beginning you say yeah. this is how it's done the transparency yeah. you were talking exactly. about exactly and that's that's because of technology now and because of um the way technology works we can assist that mm-hmm. um and you know part of our practice is to ensure that everything is transparent uh, so contracts can't be um overwritten and and kind of you know changed and amended yeah. um for people in the way they want them to it, it this is what you signed this is what you get yeah. I mean, I think on one of my contracts, I'm a, a 50% shareholder of everything that the, you know, and, um, and like I say, nothing, not a penny, not, not a penny has come back. And I've never seen any reports. I've never been given any of the reports. Can you not demand those? Though? Can you you can, not? yeah, but, you, <laughs> but they'll say zero. I mean, who's, who's going out making sure that those are put mm. to me? N- nobody. And do you think this is? A distributor problem, a sales agent problem as well? I I don't think there's any one responsible kind of area. Mm. I think it's a a, a holistic approach. It has to be because it's like any good business that creates uh, a product. And that's essentially we're creating products, product after product. Mm -hmm. One of our biggest difficulties is that we, we try and base a product on what has been sold. So, but proof tells us, and you know, ratings, views, all of these um, now, all the data that's out there, you can see fine well that you can't just emulate and re-emulate the same stuff. It doesn't provide anything for us. Mm. The cinemas are half empty, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the Marvel franchises and things like that. That's for the big boys. Let them have that. Yeah, they they can do that all they want, and you know what? There's a need for it, so let it be. But also open the doors. And let us fill the cinemas with people we know. And if we started here at home, mm. hopefully it'll catch on in other countries, other places. Yeah. And this is the other thing. If you're creative and you have a bit of a beef with somebody, what are you going to do? Because these big boys and the, the these accountancy firms mm. that say they want to fund film, but actually what they're doing is funding their own pockets for that. Mm. What are you going to do? You can't take them on. No. They know that because you've just signed saying, yeah, you'll shoot your film, which you've been working on for two years, yeah. for 10 grand, and that's all you're getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's it. That's so that's you stuff, son. Yeah, but, but hey, you'll be famous and everybody will love you. <laughs> yeah, even though we won't put your film out because we don't yeah. care about it because we've already made our money. Yeah. It's that whole circle. All right, this sounds it sounds great what you're doing. Um, yeah, I know we're going to talk about projects and stuff anyway in the, in the future about working on stuff, and I think that's – I'm excited by that. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and coming back to Broken a little bit then, because the film you made with Sean, yeah. uh, young female, escapes her past and absconds to England in search of a new life. She takes a job caring for a tetraplegic. Yes. But the burden of the job stirs up her past. It seems the limits of caring are not always as clear as they should be. Um, it's a really great sort of horror, psychological, twisty thriller. Um, the making of that, like you say, you made it for around 100 grand. Mm. 
I'm, and it sold to Sony Pictures. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's great, right? Yeah. Tell us about the journey of that. And obviously you've told us about uh, the actual getting the finance and getting onto set. Yeah. What about the selling it? It's obviously making it was... Yeah, I mean, the selling, again, it, you know, unfortunately it gets taken out of your hands. Right. I mean, we, we were we were very fortunate to get a few festival screenings, um, Alan Jones, Fright Fest. Mm. But it was one of those films, I think Majana Alan Wee, I, I just love. I think she's a brilliant actress. Mel Rado, he's truly fantastic. Uh, he really is. Yeah. He should be yeah. much bigger than... No, he should. Uh, he's fantastic. He's incredible, isn't he? Yeah. Isn't he? And he's, a, he's an absolute pleasure to watch and be around. Um, really intense, but he's... He's just got a, a great charisma about him. Um, and I'd loved Mujana since I saw her in um, uh, Martyrs. Right. You know, that's I totally just fell in love with that character. I fell in love with that film mm-hmm. and thought she was possibly the best thing I'd seen for ages. Yeah. So I'd, I'd get in touch with her on another movie called uh, The Hybrid a few yes. years earlier. Yeah. Um, she came on board that and we kind of struck up a really good friendship and said, right, let's do something again. So when I read the script, we we developed it, sent it over to her. And her auntie, she had actually nursed until her auntie took her own life. No way. And um and and that was because of a terminal illness as well. Mm. So there was something really interesting about Majana having that experience. Um and she said it was really tough, you know. So it, it was amazing. Um and all of the feedback was coming. It was great. You know, a lot of people said this is, it, it's a kind of, you know, a film of our time. It's got, it had a, a social responsibility, but we'd injected enough horror in there. Mm. The music came from Hide and Beast. Wow. Um, and they were touring with James Bay at the time. Mm. So we had all this stuff going on. And then uh, again, you know, the, the kind of investor slash accountants um, started doing deals. And basically we, we had no say at all on where and who and how it was going to go out there. And, and there was a lot of pressure on it for it not to go out. They didn't want it to, but then you find out that probably that film would have been submitted, um, for a very different cost for what it was actually made for. Right. So no wonder they didn't want anybody to know what it was made for. Got you. You know? Yeah. So there's all this smokescreen stuff going on Mm -hmm. all of the time. So you're battling with your integrity as a, a creative and an artist versus money, and people trying to um, manipulate the system to get their gain from a picture you've just spent your whole time on with yeah. this cast and crew of people, with these skilled labourers. Yeah, you know, um, and and that's that's yeah, that that is a it's a real kind of um, anticlimax to everything when everything seems to be going right, and then suddenly. You know, you just don't get the impact or the support behind it that you should. No marketing budget gets put into it. Nobody's trying to pursue it mm. and give it its best. So it ends up just being you guys sort of pushing it out on Absolutely. your socials. Social going, media, yeah. doing all of that. Yeah. But it is, that film is available. Broken it is, is yeah. It's, it's, I think it's still on iTunes and, okay. um, and places like that. And there's, there's links to it. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes as well. So if you want to go watch that film, do. Yeah. And there'll be a trailer link as well. And it's, it's great. And you made it, but it made it in about 17 se- days. 17 days. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, <laughs> in Streatham. Yeah. In Streatham with a low budget in yeah. the house. We lived around. in the house. Me and Sean lived there right. for the whole time, which was great because by the end of it, um, it was, it ended up being Mel Rado's childhood house where he grew up. 
What? Yeah. So, so his mum was putting the house on on uh, on the market, right? And so we spoke to the estaters and said, "Well, can we shoot a movie in there before you flog it?" And they went, "Yeah, go for it." So that that was it. And um, that's, that's brilliant. And, and how it's kind of nice for him as well. My childhood home, and now I'm filming a film in here. Yeah. Something I was dreaming so about. A real goodbye for the yeah. house. Yeah. Um, I'm playing and, a. Bro- I mean, he's amazing in the film. Yes, yeah. absolutely mind blownly good. Yeah, he is. He's he's a really. Truly talented actor, Mel. That's great. Yeah. So that's available. Do go see that. It is. Check that out. Links in the show notes. Um, you've just come back from, well, not just come back from, you had gone over to Bulgaria where mm. I shot the dare and uh, you went and worked with Neil Marshall again. I did. On Hellboy. I did. Yes. With um, uh, Mila Jojovic. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that that was interesting. Yeah, tell us. Cause yeah, no, because uh, I, I wandered uh, onto I, set. I'll be honest, though. I think if I if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I think there's me and a few others. We haven't actually made the cut. Oh, really? <laughs> I think so. Right. But hey, you know that yeah, he, that, he, that he, it doesn't matter. Happen. But it was great fun going on set. Um, but it was, I mean, Hellboy's a Hellboy, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's one of them ones where you go, yeah, I'll, I'll do anything. Of course. I'll, I'll even just walk past the camera. Yeah. I'll, I'll be quite happy. But it was um it was great fun. We went out and shot for a few days. Um it was bloody freezing. Yeah. But um but yeah, just to just to try and be part of something like that was a, so an exciting big, prospect. Big studio yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember walking onto the set and literally, you know, the big exec was there going, Listen, you can't tell anyone about this. And this set, I'm telling you a lot, and this set was the most mind-blowing set. Yeah. I felt like I'd walked into a stately house. It was huge, wasn't it? It was yeah. ridiculous and looked fantastic. There was yeah. no seams. There was no dodgy bits. Yeah. It was like, really? This yeah. is in the studio? No, I know. So, but yeah. Ljubljana is a great place to shoot. Yes. And the, yeah. the crews there, again, you know, they're, well, they're very professional. Really, they really stuff. great yeah. crew and lots of talent. But nice to work with Neil again, I imagine, oh, just totally. to even just... I uh, love working with Neil. Right. He's he's just he's brilliant, you know. And has, has he come on? I imagine he has, but from those first days of doing Dog Soldiers. Oh God, yeah. And to how he is now, yeah. I mean, but he, he's always had he's always had a really solid, grounded understanding of everything. Mm. But what what's good about him is he he very rarely just blurbs things out like me. I mean, if I get on a rant, that's it. You know, I mean, <laughs> your podcast, I'm just fucking rambling. <laughs> Pardon me, French. Please. But um, but but Neil. He's very direct. He, he knows exactly what he wants. And I think because he was an editor for so long and mm. a very, very high end, you know. Yeah, he, as my he, listeners know, I think it's vital you learn to edit if you're a director. Hugely important mm-hmm. because he, you don't waste any extra time. You know, you, you're being a, a scene with Neil and if he knows he's got it, that is it. Now, you, as an actor, you, you can tend to take 20 takes if you wanted to, but ultimately you've got to trust your director and what's wonderful about uh, directors who know how to edit, they won't waste and exhaust you. Mm-hmm. So they know, and, and even if it's a pickup for a moment that they're just yeah. going to drop in on the edit, they know that's all they need. Yes. And and it's great because you, you learn to trust that and you move on and it keeps all the energy going and everybody's ready. So mm-hmm. it, it He's great to work with. He's he's one of the one of the finest directors to work with, definitely. Wow. Yeah. Really wonderful. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting times. Yeah, indeed. Um, let's talk about Mara then. Mm. <laughs> Mara. Mara. Yeah. So criminal psychologist Kate Fuller is assigned to the murder of a man who has seemingly been strangled in his sleep by his wife, and the only witness is their eight year old daughter Sophie. As Kate digs into the mystery of an ancient demon which kills people in their sleep, she experiences the same petrifying symptoms as all previous victims and spirals through a chilling nightmare to save herself and Sophie before she dares to fall asleep again. 
the trailer's amazing. Stars Olga Kurilenko. It does. Uh, and um, Rosie Fellner. Yeah. And yourself. Yeah. In a lead role. Mm. How did that feel to shoot this wonderful horror film which is coming out this Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, this Saturday. That's... This, but look at the smile on your face. <laughs> I know. I know. If well, you can see this smile now. I can't quite believe it because um, we, we did the trailer for this almost 10 years ago. So that's what? how. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, myself, Scott Mann, uh, Clive Tong, director, James, Edward Barker, producer. We, so we all got together and we were in Manchester. I'm sure it was Manchester, yeah. Um, and we shot a trailer uh, to try and, you know, just push the concept and see what people thought. And. Um, and it was going to go ahead, then it didn't go ahead, then right. it was going to go ahead, then yeah. it didn't go ahead. Um, and then eventually, uh, just when you think, oh, well, here we go, it's 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 gone. Um, Olga gets on board as well, and that's it. It's like, can you come out to Savannah? You're shooting in a few weeks. And that was it. Wow. Up and off. <laughs> How did Olga get involved? I mean, did they just keep sending scripts? Yeah, well, she, she got on very early, but then she had a series of films where she just could not, couldn't get the times. Right. Um, so that, that, for the last couple of years held a, a lot of uh, kind of difficulty. Um, but then, yeah, there was this time it, it happened and she was available and she jumped on board. That's amazing. So it was great. And she was absolutely brilliant to work with. Really? And yeah. Um, Olga's great, man. She's, um, she's fully committed and she's such a, a kind of um, responsive actress. You know, you give her something and she'll just go with it. And that, that, that was really um, brilliant to, to, to meet her and kind of work with her on that level because you, you're there with her 24-7. Yeah. And we had quite a few intense scenes together. Uh, yeah. And she's just, she's great fun. I mean, we had such a laugh on that movie. And the crew in Savannah, again, got to say, some of the best people I've worked with. They're wow. just incredible. There's so much talent out there. Wow. Brilliant. How come Savannah? Why Savannah? This is like a British company, British... Yeah, British company. British uh, writer, British But then producers. Dan Grodnick, uh, Mary Allo and uh, Jake Shapiro, um, they they were from the American side. And I think it was American finance in the end that pulled it off. So... Right. And I think also Savannah, in- incredibly good tax credits. Right. You know, so it was, let's take, you know, we haven't got a lot of money. Let's take it out there and, and shoot it there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I'd say it's super exciting and it's great for you because, you know, it's it's a it's a lead role and it's leading on to other things, right? Is there anything you can tell us about at the moment or Yeah, there's been the, well, actually, funnily enough, Marshall. Neil's invited me to take part in a film next year. I can't I can't probably say what the, the title is because yeah. uh, I don't know what, what well, it hasn't been announced yet. So it it's probably best you don't. But uh but I so know getting ready to work with Neil again next year. <laughs> um and then I've been offered um, the possibility of playing Jonathan Harker in a new Dracula adaptation for screen. Amazing. Which is really exciting if if, um, if and when that comes off. Yeah. So um, there's, that's two films for, for next year, certainly. Yeah. Um, and obviously and at the same the time. Directing. Yeah, directing. Yeah. And then getting the, the company up and running. Yes. And, well, even though it's already up and running, it's just yeah. getting it moving forward. So yeah. what do you expect to happen with that then from that producing standpoint? What are you waiting for in terms of, I know you sort of said beginning of next year, um, is there anything to, I don't know what my question is really. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> I went off on a tangent. <laughs> ah, what is my question? For that? Um, 
Yeah, when can we expect something? <laughs> when, when's something going to happen? When's something going to happen? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I guess uh, immediately um, <laughs> uh, we've got, uh, well, actually we've got Comic-Con coming up as well. That's right, so yeah. So that's good. So we'll be doing a panel at Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. We'll do the Mara premiere. And then I, I think um, there, there's a film called uh, South of Hope Street, which yes. which is a, a really interesting very clever kind of uh, magic realism movie okay you know i mean it's just it's beautiful and i I won't say too much about it because the director you should speak to you should get her on your show she's incredible woman jane spencer she's absolutely brilliant great um and um so that that's uh ongoing as well but i think i think all we're doing is just taking our time to to work with the right people and partners Mm -hmm. um and try and meet as many people uh, and see what diverse content there is out there, but also uh, I think for Locus Plus Motion, one of one of the main remits is to find stories that have that social resonance and impact, because mm. because it's important to, as as well as having all the genre stuff and the fun things, to have stories that have an edge to them, yeah. that have something of importance rather than it just being a, a passion fun project, yeah. you know. Um, but that's probably getting older as well. Yeah, uh, makes me want to do something that 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 maybe has a bit more resonance to it i know what you you mean yeah Yeah. i think it's me doing the vegan documentary and stuff it's just it's like okay i'm trying to put something out there that isn't just a horror film or isn't just you know just saying something having a social message with it yeah exactly right good okay what advice can you give to a uh a producer out there listening to this podcast who wants to make his first movie or carry on making his or her first movie or carry on making movies what what any advice you could give them I, th- I think it's finding the right like-minded people. Mm. I think the, there's a lot of trial and error in anything you do, but especially in this is making sure that not just the vision of the piece that you're trying to make, but the understanding of why you're doing it. Mm. Because if you have that trust and it is about trust, the whole thing works and operates on trust because that's where crews and casts come together really well. Cause we do trust each other cause yeah. we know what we're doing, mm-hmm. but the, the transparency and the trust is everything to make a good project. And, the, and really then it's finding the right source of investment, you know, and maybe sometimes that comes from private investors or think out the box a bit, think about things, how you can engage funds, mm-hmm. how you can engage um, social uh, responsibility with what you're doing in order to connect charities and people like that. So businesses and people can get involved, you know, so it doesn't just have to be a film finance yes. uh, company to give you your money, yeah. um, but make sure you are meticulous when it comes to checking over all contracts and make sure you're happy with them. And if not, don't settle for it. If they've said to you, this is your budget, you've worked your budget properly. Mm -hmm. And then they say, well, can you do it for half a million less or whatever? You say no. And don't think just because they're going to turn your film down, that means you'll never get it made because that, that is not true. There is always a way to get it done. You've just got to align it all at the right, the right time. And sometimes it takes a long time, like Mara, really 10 years mm. in, in entirety. Yeah. So projects aren't overnight, but you've, you've got to be in it for the long game, definitely. Great answer. Great advice. Thank you. Um, where can people follow you on the social medias? Where can they get hold of you? Uh, at the Craig Conway. Nice. Yeah. See what the, Craig Conway. the Craig, the Craig Conway. Conway. Yeah. yeah. And the reason, because somebody took Craig Conway, the Scottish footballer. I've got yeah. to meet this guy one day. Scottish footballer called Craig Conway. Yeah, you're right. He's got at Craig Conway. Because if you Google Craig Conway. Yeah, you get a Scottish footballer. You get a Scottish footballer. Yeah, it's great, that, isn't it? Brilliant. Thanks. I mean, it's 
It's it's not an unusual name, so no. there's probably a few others out there. They're yeah, probably well, just as pissed off with you. Yeah, because I've got the other. I said the, and everyone goes, you mean the? The, the quick comment. Cr- no, 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 the. The quick <laughs> <the Craig> comment. <laughs> so you want the Craig Conway on Twitter, uh, yeah. Facebook Craig Conway. Yes. This, this has been amazing. This has been really good. I know our listeners will get so much from this. It's been really good. So thank you. No, thank you. Time. It's been great. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, you can follow me at Giles Alderson or you can fil- follow the podcast at Filmmakers Pod or go to filmmakerspodcast.com to get a whole back catalogue of podcasts, all 79 of them, all about indie filmmaking, screenwriting, directing, producing, editing, uh, an Oscar winning film. So yeah, go have a look, listen catch up with some of those if you haven't already and do give us a nice like share and subscribe on itunes and if you like this retweet us send us a nice tweet and you might get your name read out at the beginning of this podcast being prepared is everything you can make your indie film but know who your audience is and get out there and do it and remember if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up it's your duty to send that elevator back down the next show will be out next tuesday so we will see you next tuesday um craig thank you very much thank you um until then stay well work hard and try to take another step forward to making your indie film take care now bye-bye this was a podcast from the pod fix network you can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com